Seeking for the help of the Lord, I direct your prayer for attention to Exodus chapter 33 and reading for our text verse 18. Verse 18, And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses' request of Jehovah. Exodus 33 verse 18 Show me thy glory This chapter follows on from the making of the golden calf the breaking by Moses of the first tables of stone the wrath of God against Israel for their sin of idolatry and it begins with the Lord saying to Moses to go on their way but instead of him going with them he would send an angel with them and they called that evil tidings well before we come to the request of Moses the showing of Jehovah's glory on to notice three things that precede the text and beginning with this evil tidings this word of the Lord that said because of their sin he himself would not go with them but would send an angel instead they called that evil tidings. The verse that we finished on in chapter 34, it has the other side. After all what had happened, Moses' intercession, the glory of the Lord shone, then it finishes, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go amongst among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And in this case, it's Lord, not Jehovah, this is pointing to our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. But I want to think of how the people viewed this. An angel was no substitute for God himself. And I would say this, that those who would rob our Lord Jesus Christ of his divinity as such as Christadelphians, Jehovah's Witnesses do, they make him to be but created and not as equal with God, not as one with the Father. Here is very evident that what the people of Israel wanted, what Moses wanted, was no less than God himself. And unless our Lord Jesus Christ is truly God then it, it, it really means nothing 
that Moses accomplished here that all the glory of God and all that was done to achieve that the Lord be with them, if that is not God himself, then that is not salvation. That is not what Moses sought after. May we never, as the Israelites did here, settle for anything less than God himself. When, when Solomon dedicated the temple, he says, But will God in very deed dwell upon the earth? That is their expectation. He says, The heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have builded. The expectation of the Old Testament church, the people of God, was that God would be manifest in the flesh. Not some created angel, not any other than God himself. Abraham said to his son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Not delegate someone else, but himself. And so we have that in the leader to the text here. Then we have another type of our Lord Jesus Christ in the way that the tabernacle was put outside of the camp and the people had to leave the camp and go out to their tabernacle. And remember at this point, this is not the tabernacle that was patterned on the mount. This is the uh, tabernacle of the congregation where Moses sat and heard the judgments of the people that where his father-in-law Jethro said that he'd wear himself out and, and all his people out unless he delegated to, to others. This was put without the camp. And we think of Hebrews, let us therefore go out unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Our Lord suffered without the gate, without the camp. And here is what follows the children of Israel, their sin, and what things are being done in this chapter that are showing the way that God himself would then come again with his people, his sinful people, and would dwell with them and walk with them. And part of that was the removing of this tabernacle. It also meant that those that were to be identified with the Lord, those that were to be identified with Moses, with Joshua, they were to leave the camp. They were to go outside the camp unto him. And Right through scripture, it speaks of the people of God as a separated people. Come ye out from among them, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Ye shall be my sons and my daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And it is in the presence of all. They, one couldn't just quietly go uh, out to the tabernacle they'd be seen by all of those that were doing it it was, it was a public profession as it were later on Joshua was to say as for me and my house we will serve the Lord and there is a uh, coming out and testifying as to being the people of the Lord and it is identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ 
That is what a Christian is, a follower of the Lord, one that goes from this world, those that seek unto the Lord, those that the Lord said, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. A peculiar people, a people formed for his praise, a called out people, a separated people, the people that are gathered to the Lord Jesus Christ, unto him shall the gathering of the people be. But then we have another illustration as well as our, of our Lord, and that is the intercession of Moses. Moses says that a prophet will the Lord thy God raise up unto you like unto me, him shall ye hear. And Moses himself very often made intercession, and he does at this time, pleading that this people was the Lord's people, and that he would not forsake them, that he would abide with them, and that his presence would be with them, and that they would find grace in his sight. The intercession of Moses was effectual. The Lord did abide with them. The intercession of our Lord is effectual. A voice there is that speaks for us in heaven's high court for good. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He appears in the presence of God for us. And his first instance of that intercession, I will pray my Father and he will give you another comforter which shall abide with you forever. Tarry at Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. The day of Pentecost is abundant evidence of that intercession and prayer heard and the spirit that was sent down. Also we might say that following that, because our Lord had foretold, he said, uh, marvel not at these things, greater miracles shall ye do because I go to my father and we would think of the parallels between Elijah and Elisha Elisha performed twice as many miracles as what Elijah did Elijah had said to Elisha had asked Elijah that he be given a double portion of his spirit and Elijah said if thou see me when I am taken from thee that thy petition shall be granted it was a hard thing but he saw him saw him taken up and that double portion of spirit rested on him with our lord he was taken up into heaven and the disciples saw him being taken up into heaven when our lord then ascended up into heaven the spirit was given the disciples they raised the dead through the lord jesus christ they performed miracles, and more than that, they preached the word, and thousands were brought to believe and repent and to follow the Lord. In a way, they had twice as much success in converts than our Lord did. How could it come when our Lord was crucified and all those thousands that ate of the loaves and the fishes, where were they? Where were the disciples? Where were those that followed him then? But when the Lord had risen, that power attending and the blessing and the spread of the church of God, 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. The disciples were very clear, not by our name, not by our power, but by the Lord Jesus Christ that this, these powers were done. And so with the Lord in heaven, those things that were done on earth were a witness that he truly was in heaven alive and he was working through his servants and through the ministry of the word and many were being converted and changed. The Lord's promise was true. He said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And they proved that with that power of God. And Moses here, the Lord had given him the promise, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. He said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. He valued, he desired the presence of the Lord. So we have our Lord, his true divinity, his true man manhood. We have the Lord suffering without the gate and a separated people going out unto him. And we have the intercession of our Lord for his people. But then we have Moses in our text desiring that he might see the glory of God. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. What a reminder here that when we pray, we are not dictating. We are beseeching. We are supplicating. There are some, I've had some people ask me to pray for them. And they say, no, I want you to pray that it be now. It be given today that I have the blessing. I said, I will not dictate unto my God. If you feel faith and you feel that you can pray in that way now, then you pray, but I will supplicate the Lord. We do not dictate to him. He is not a, a puppet in our hands. When Satan came to tempt the Lord, he said, Command these stones that they may be, may be made bread. Did our Lord obey him just to prove that he was truly the Son of God? No. His glory, his sovereignty was that he did according to his will, not Satan's, and not according to sinners, except it be along with his will. So we beseech him. We come asking, supplicating, as sinners aware of who we are, coming before a holy God. Well, how much do we know of the glory of God? How much do we know that we do not have to come in with Moses and ask, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. wonder how many of us here, if we were asked by someone, how would you describe the glory of God? Would we be able to answer? Would we know? Well, this is what Moses asked. Show me thy glory. So I want to look with the Lord's help at the Lord's answer to him in the following verses where the Lord does show him his glory. Now we're talking 
about Jehovah is Lord in the other case is a triune God, Father, Son and Holy Ghost and in salvation the glory is to them all, to them all, to one triune God. We always close our services acknowledging the Trinity, acknowledging the glory of God. And so here we have seven points that are put before Moses. They're showing forth his glory. And the first is his goodness. In verse 19, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. That is what he is going to do. Now I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. We have a good God. That is to be established right at the start. He is good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. When he formed man, he formed man of the dust of the ground, he formed the creation, he pronounced it all good. And it was done by a good God. He is the saviour of all men, especially of them that believe. Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. He causeth his reign to reign upon the just and unjust, his sun to shine upon the just and unjust. He makes no distinction. He is a good God. He is not a tyrant. He is not one that says one thing and does another. He is holy, he is pure, he is good in every sense. One came to our Lord on earth and he said, Good Master. And the Lord said to him, Why? Why callest thou me good? There is only one good, that is God. The Lord was testing him. Did he really believe that he was God? Was he coming viewing the Lord Jesus Christ as truly God? But our Lord was testifying this, that God is good. And if Satan is saying anything other to any here, then Satan is a liar, because God is a good God. There is no sin, no evil, nothing in him at all that is not good. And so this is the first point of which Moses is presented with the glory of God. Our Lord has said there is none good but God. In other words, that is a glory that belongs to God alone. We might speak of each other of being good, but it can never be in the sense of that goodness that belongs to our God. The second thing of the glory of God is his sovereignty. In verse 19 again we read, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. God's sovereignty. And that is above everything else. Who is he that saith, and it cometh to pass, when the Lord commandeth it not? 
He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Late at home we've been reading through Jeremiah and you read what the Lord is saying about Babylon and saying about those other nations round about. When we were first reading it, I thought, well, how does this relate to gospel times? What profit, what help can we get from this? And then it came to me, the Lord is so showing, he is not just a God that deals with Israel. He is a God that deals with the whole world. And he is the sovereign ruler of the whole world. And that's good to remember when we have the Putins and the Bidens and the rulers of this world, that God is above them. And if he brought down the Babylons and he brought down uh, the, the nations of old and dealt with them and, and, and punished them, well, we are warned by the Lord not to fear man. And there shall be wars and rumours of wars. But we are not to fear that. All these things shall come to pass. Why? Because God in his sovereignty is working out his will. Providence unfolds the book and makes his counsels shine. He is at perfect peace with his will and what is happening. Sometimes we can have a plan and we're not at peace. We think something's going wrong with this. This is not working well and that person's not doing what I thought they would do and we have a sleepless night over it. But the Lord is at perfect peace that all what he is decreeing is coming to pass. Nothing is gone wrong at all. The Lord said to Pilate when Pilate says, Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee or to release thee? The Lord said, Thou hast no power upon me at all, except it were given thee from above. And what a reminder to us. This is the glory of God in our day, in our world, that he is a sovereign God. He doesn't consult with our leaders. He doesn't consult with the uh, current ways of, the, of this world. No. His undisturbed thought moves on. His undisturbed affairs. He knows what he will do. And the world's course and history is mapped out and ordered. And it has been sovereignly carried out and brought out. And that is the glory that was shown to Moses. The sovereign God says to him, writer, I wish to see. And I hope that is our desire as well, to see a sovereign God in all the things that we do, in all of our lives, in all that affects us. The third thing is the Lord's glory itself, as a glory that cannot be looked upon. In verse 20, he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. That belongs to Almighty God. Those that felt that they had seen God, or realised they had, like Manoah and his wife, Samson's parents, Manoah said, We shall surely die before, because we have seen God face to face. But... 
His wife said, well, if the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have told us such things as these, nor have shown us such things as at this time. And yet this is what belongs to the Lord, a glory that we cannot see, we cannot see without a veil between, without a mediator between. We must have a means of seeing him, and it is seeing him through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the glory of God is known in this, that he is above men, that man in his fallen state, he cannot see God, he cannot look upon God and live. And Moses has been given here, unfolding from one facet, from one way to another way, a picture of the glory of God, the greatness of God. The thing about man today is God is made small. They make him low. They make him like an idol. God says, Thou thoughtest that I was altogether one like unto thyself. And because they think that, then it makes that the laws of God are small and it makes it that we do not need a righteousness that is not our own. We do not need forgiveness. We do not need a mediator. We do not need a way to appear before God. But when we realise how great God is, the thought of you and I dying without a mediator, without our sins forgiven, and appear before this great eternal God is a terrifying thought. Is a terrifying thought. How shall we stand before him? How shall we stand before his anger, before his wrath, before his eye? We want to hide, but in that day there will be no hiding place. But fourthly then, there is a provision for sinners. And it is set forth in verse 21. The Lord said, Behold, now remember, Moses had said, I beseech thee, show me my, thy glory. So the Lord says, Behold, look, pay attention to this. This, this really is the culmination. This is the greatest glory that I will show you, the provision for sinners. There is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock our Lord said upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not withstand against it the Lord Jesus Christ is the rock of ages he is the one upon which the church is built. He is the one upon whom all the promises are founded. In the Garden of Eden, as soon as man fell, remember this here follows just as the law is given on Mount Sinai. But the law there in Eden was broken there. And immediately he was given the promise of the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. 
Here is a foundation to build our hopes of heaven upon the seed of the woman that should bruise the serpent's head. Here is he that should come. Here is the foundation of the church. Here is the provision of God, a place by me, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord spoke of the glory he had with his Father before the world was. And we read of the creation. Let us make man in our own image. We have the Lord Jesus Christ again set forth as with the Father, one with the Father, and here is the provision for the church of God, the foundation stone that of which the church of God is built upon. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul, he determined to know nothing among men save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And this is the glory of God that he has provided for his church such a foundation, not a foundation on our works, not a foundation of man's providing, not a foundation that can be moved, but a foundation that is solid, remains, and is that rock of ages. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And that is the glory of God to make such a provision for sinners. There is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is none other that has the ascent of heaven from heaven. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. This is the one that the crown and glory of salvation is placed upon. His name which is given, which is a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He it is that is really the glory of the Father, the glory of Jehovah, the glory of salvation. It hath pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. He that honoureth the Son honoureth the Father, and the messengers that point to the Lord Jesus Christ, he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. There's a beautiful link and a joining together and where the glory of the Lord is in a congregation, in a people, then their hopes will be placed upon Christ and Christ alone. All what they build upon will not be feelings and frames and men's devices, but upon Christ and what he has done. The finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, that which is accomplished at Calvary. So there is another, another glory 
that he has revealed as well. And this is the provision again for sinners in verse 22. And this is a hiding place. It shall come to pass while my glory passeth by. Now that glory that we cannot look unto and live, that great glory of the eternal God, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. There in the Lord Jesus Christ is his sufferings, his death, that which he endured to put away the sins of his people. In John's epistle he refers to the sacrifice of our Lord as a propitiation for our sins. That is a wrath-ending sacrifice. That the wrath of God fell upon him and not upon his people, extinguished in him. You often think of that upon Mount Carmel with Elijah. He gathered the people, he made up the altar, he put the wood in order, the bullock upon it, no fire therein, water round about the trench and on the sacrifice. And he prayed unto God that the people might know that he had turned their hearts back again. And God answered by fire from heaven. And that fire fell not on Israel who had gone after idols, not on the Baal prophets, but on the altar itself and on the sacrifice. And it burnt up the sacrifice, the altar, the wood and everything. It must have been a fearful sight to have fire come down. Any of you that have seen lightning come in such a way to see fire from heaven in that way. And the people cried out, the Lord, he is God, he is God. And then they were willing to go and take those prophets of Baal and to slay them. But they had abundant, fearful witness of the wrath of God falling upon what was setting forth our Lord Jesus Christ, setting forth Calvary and what was to be done there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That hiding of a father's face, the agony of his soul, the sufferings of our Lord Jesus Christ so beautifully set forth in Isaiah 53. The glory of our Lord as the Redeemer, the hiding place of the people of God. We mentioned this morning concerning the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The people sheltering in their houses. Rahab sheltering in her house with the scarlet line down the window. And here we have the rock, Christ Jesus. Another illustration with the day when the world was destroyed by the flood. In the end it shall be destroyed by fire. But in Noah's day, the ark is a beautiful type of Christ. Noah went into the ark. The Lord shut him in. And then the wrath of God fell. It fell on all of those destroying them outside of the ark. But the ark was it that bore that rain and that was lifted up on the flood. 
but Noah and those that were with him were safe in that ark. Another beautiful type of being found in Christ, not having our own righteousness which is of the law, found in him, that we then may not fear the wrath of God. It is a a beautiful thing in, in, in that the Lord will gather his people to himself and destroy then the world like he plucked and he brought uh, so, uh, Lot out of Sodom but they are brought unto the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hiding place in his wounded side. It is his blood that cleanseth from sin. It is his blood that blots it out. I think it was Luther that had a vision and the devil said to him you see this long list these are all your sins and he said yes he said they they are all my sins but right on the bottom of that list the blood of Jesus Christ God's son cleanseth from all sin and I think those of you who've read the the deaf mute I think it is uh, and he made out that he, he had God couldn't see any of his sins at all and then he showed that they were all blotted out with blood they were all covered and that was what he was hiding that was his shelter that was his refuge and this again is what is set before us again and again as churches in the Lord's Supper reminded this doing remembrance of me I am your hiding place. It is my blood that was shed. This is the church's hope. This is for sinners. This is not for you, not for your, uh, to, to rejoice in anything of yourself. It's not a fresh sacrifice, but it's what I have done, what have I accomplished, the sacrifice that has been made and that which shall give assurance that everyone that trusteth in that shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. This is the glory of the Father. This is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The provision, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And this is why the Apostle Paul determined not to know anything among them save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sinner, if you feel your sin, you're burdened with your sin, there's no other hiding place but this rock in the Lord Jesus Christ and a trust in his sufferings and his death and what he has done for you. They shall look upon him whom they have pierced and they shall mourn for him and be in bitterness for him. It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again and ascendeth and sitteth at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the glory of God. But Moses was shown even more than that. Because then we have, in the next chapter, we have the two tables renewed again. They weren't remain broken, they were to be renewed. The Lord was to write them again. But this time they were to be placed in the ark, another 
beautiful type of the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of the Lord is to fulfill the law and make it honourable. Death reigned from Adam until Moses, but where there is no law, sin is not imputed when there is no law. Therefore the law then was given at Mount Sinai and written, and written in tables, and really established it is a broken law, but it is fulfilled in Christ. The reason why the law is given and magnified in every jot and tittle is that all the world might be brought in guilty before God, that no man can be justified by the deeds of the law. It is only to be looked for in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friend, if you are like the Jews whom Paul longed that they might be saved in Romans 10, and you have a zeal for God but ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish your own, you will never be saved that way. You will never be saved by works of righteousness which we have done, but only as a poor sinner looking to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Romans 10, a very important chapter because it joins together the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And may it be this evening that through the word preached, the Lord gives some poor sinner here faith in Christ, faith in his finished work, to see what he has done on your behalf, that the Lord reveal that to you and show that to you. Where the Lord reveals it, it is that abundant token. We have the tokens this morning that he has died for our sins. He shows to his people. He is showing to Moses his glory. And you only show his glory to his dear people in a day of grace. And this glory to see the law fulfilled in Christ. To see it perfected. Know that time is my most precious to me that what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son, and in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Romans 8 verses 2 and 3. It's a blessed thing that we have here as part of the glory shown to Moses to see those tables renewed, complete, and put in the ark. And may we see that glory, and that glory on the head of our Lord, and the glory of the Lord, the Lord himself fulfilling his own law on behalf of his people. And then we have, seventhly, the glory of the Lord amongst his people again. The verse 9 in chapter 34. He said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Right through this, the Lord had given the assurance his presence would go with him, he would give him rest. 
And Moses' desire for that presence of God. I hope that is something that we each desire. The Garden of Eden, man was banished from God's presence. But when called by grace, our desire is, when shall I come and appear before God? Paul says we shall see him as he is, for we shall be like him. Then we shall be known even as we are known. And our Lord said, Father, I will that they whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Why? That they may behold my glory. Behold my glory in heaven. See it clear without a veil between. See all what he has accomplished and what he has done and see him on the throne. We see through a glass darkly here. But it's a blessed thing to know the presence of the Lord, to know his blessing upon the word. You know where the Lord is present, he will be present by his spirit, by his grace. The Spirit, he shall not receive, not speak of himself, he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. Where the Lord is present, his Spirit is present, and he is revealed to his dear people. Those two on the way to Emmaus, before he was revealed to them, their heart burned within them while he preached that sermon to them. But then it came that he showed himself in the breaking of the bread. And may our desire be that the Lord's presence be with us. His goodness go before us in the way and that we might know the presence of the Lord by the grace that he gives, by the spirit that he gives, by the revelation of himself. And we be able to testify of the glory that we see in the Lord. By nature he is a root out of dry ground, no form nor comeliness that we should desire him. And we do not see the glory of God. Man only consults, as the psalm says, to cast him down from his excellency. But with the people of God, this people, have I formed for myself, and they shall show forth my praise. They shall, every in his temple, every one, shall speak of his glory. You think of that. May we be of those ones in that temple at last, speaking of his glory. Amen.